Hi, welcome to Building a Business That Lasts. My name is Jay Owen, and I'm your host on a quest towards stories, tips, and ideas that will help you grow a business without being stressed out, worn out, and ready to quit. Each week, I'll interview other business owners who have successfully grown businesses of all types for many years. It's my hope that these conversations will help you build a business that lasts. On this episode, I interview Brian Croft. Brian is the owner of Homes Custom. They create custom personalized products and have been around since 1954. If that's not a business that lasts, I don't know what is. Brian has uh, been in charge there since 1999 for over 20 years. Uh, he has run and grown this company to help other people uh, create custom products for their companies. So I hope this conversation with Brian is helpful to learn how you can build a business that lasts over many, many decades. Hey, Brian, thanks for being on the show. Hey, thanks for having me. So I was looking over your company information, and your company has been around for quite a long time. When did you guys start? 1954. So what is that, 64 years now? Wow, that's uh, really cool. So one of the big things about this show is talking to other people who have businesses that have been around for a long time, and that certainly uh, meets that standard. I think that it's (laughs) easy to start something, and it's hard uh, to last a long time, especially when you've been around that long. I mean, there's been so many changes in technology and marketing and, I mean, everything. Everything's changed business-wise, but a lot of things stay the same, don't they? Sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I like to refer to my company as a a 60-year-old startup company (laughs) because we're 60 years old and we have the, uh, you know, we have the heritage and the legacy of of the Jacksonville old school business, but we have the innovation and the, uh, you know, just the resourcefulness of a startup. So uh, that's kind of how I, uh, how I like to think about it. So that's a a great uh, idea. Kind of give you the, the the Cliff Notes version. I like to tell you the the sixty year history in about I don't know ten minutes or so. Yeah, I'd love to hear kind of how you got started, how the company got started, and and, and kind of learn a little bit about that. Sure, sure. So nineteen fifty four, Mister Holmes started Holmes Stamp Company, manufacturing rubber stamps in his garage over in the Arlington part of town, and um, he did that pretty successfully, and uh, ultimately moved out of his garage and had a building over on San Marco Boulevard. And um, mid seventies, my father went to Terry Parker High School with his daughter. And his daughter comes into school one day and says, hey, my dad's looking for a delivery driver for this little rubber stamp business. And and my dad raises his hand and says, well, I'll do that till I get a real job because we can make a living delivering rubber stamps, right? This is the early 70s. And so, yeah, fast forward 1985, my father's still doing it. He's past the delivery driver. They've got, I don't know, small business and he's doing different parts of the company and Mr. Holmes is ready to retire. He had been doing it for 30 something years and he sold 30% of the company to my father and 70% of the company to his son, Mr. Holmes Jr. So um, that they worked together, Mr. Holmes Jr. and my father ran the company at that point. 1998 comes, um, Mr. Holmes Jr. decided he was ready to retire. So he sold his shares of the stock to my father. So, I mean, that right there is a pretty cool story in entrepreneurialism. My father started as the delivery driver, and then in June of 1998, he owned the entire company. That is awesome. 
Yeah, that's kind of a fun story. So then at the same time, 99er says, well, I'm getting ready to graduate. I went to UNF. Um, I got a degree in marketing. So I never really worked in the family business. Um, what I remember was mom and dad saying, hey, we're going to pay for your college education. And all I heard was, sweet, mom and dad are paying for college. This is an amazing opportunity. And then I went to UNF and I get on the campus and I look over in the corner over there and I'm like, what are all those pretty girls doing? They're doing marketing. Okay, I'm going to do marketing. <laughs> right, so I was chasing the girls and, uh, and mom and dad were paying for it. That's how I got my college degree. So, so here I am, just graduate college, degree in marketing and ready to kind of solve all the world's problems. So at the same time, dad says, hey, you want to join the family business? Up to that point, I was my career was at Denigan's over in Regency or Outback Steakhouse. So, um, you know, I was like, hey, I, I don't, I, I was a bartender through college, right? So it taught me a lot of cool social skills, but it wasn't really a career I wanted to do forever. So I said, you know, I probably owe it to mom and dad just to kind of give it a shot and see what small business, family business is all about. So I come in ready to solve all the world's problems. And uh, I said, all right, dad, where's the, uh, where's the marketing budget? Where's the catalog? Where's the customer list? Where's the, the logo deck? And, and he looks at me and he's like, well, what are you talking about? We, we don't have any of that. I'm like, no, 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 Dad. I must not be communicating correctly because in college, <laughs> they said every every small business has this. And he's like, no, well, we don't. He said, here's what we have. We have an opportunity. He says, welcome to the team. You're employee number 11. And uh, here's an apron. Get out there and start making this stuff because you've never worked here. How are you going to be a Mr. Sales and Marketing guy? You've never worked here before. You don't even know what we do. So I remember going home going, ah, oh, my mom and dad spent all this money on my college education. and now they're paying me eight bucks an hour with this apron on making rubber stamps. Like this ain't going to last very long, but I'll probably give it a month or two shot and say I tried and then move on to some other job. Hmm. So I said, that was my commitment. I'll, I'll give it a shot. So I did probably two to three months into my um, career. I was out at one of the local beach bars. And I meet this tall blonde and I was like, wow, she's pretty good looking. And I found out she was an attorney and I'm like, Oh boy, I'm going to kind of, I got to BS my way through this. So I, Oh yeah, I'm in light manufacturing. That's what I told her. <laughs> light so, manufacturing. Yeah. Right. I can't tell her I make rubber stamps for a living. She would never talk to me. Right. Well, we're about uh, 18 years in our marriage and three beautiful kids now. So check. I BS my way through that one. It worked pretty well. <laughs> But it really, what it really made me do is kind of up my game, right? Because now I'm hanging out with all these fancy lawyers at happy hour, and I'm the rubber stamp guy, and they're all the fancy lawyers, right? And the same thing, this little thing called the internet was coming around. So I was like, wow, that internet thing's kind of cool. What is that all about? So what I would do is I'd work from 6 in the morning to 3 in the afternoon with my apron on. I'd, I'd make all the orders that we had. And then I'd go down to my little apartment on University Boulevard, and I'd put my little AOL CD and I dial into the modem. <laughs> Remember those days? Oh yeah. And I try, <laughs> I try to build a website. I'm like, this website thing's kind of cool. Um, it fit our business pretty well. The core products we do are just kind of personalized office products. And, you know, I can make it, put it in a box and give it to the brown truck and he can deliver anywhere in the world. Right. So I don't know, let's keep doing this. So I kind of did that pretty um, unsuccessfully for about two years. So now here we are in, I don't know, 2002, 2003. And, um, Success hit. In this conversation, I define success as, oh man, we got an order from Atlanta on the website. We got an order from Orlando. We got an order from San Francisco. We got an order from Dallas. Like, that's that's never happened in the history of the company. Up to that right. point, the you know forty five year history of the company was Jacksonville, Florida. We had one customer in Atlanta because they used to work at Winn Dixie, and then they moved to Atlanta. Right, <laughs> those kind of things. 
so then I was able to kind of, wow, this is cool. Let's build this website and um, hire people to do the production. And I was then able to kind of focus on my true passion of e-commerce, sales, marketing, things like that. So kind of let's pause where we are today. Uh, we have a little over 100 employees. Um, we have three locations. Probably 80 of those employees are on our Jacksonville campus. Uh, we have an office in Boston that has about 11 or 12 people. And then we have an office in Austin, Texas that has about, I don't know, five or six people in it. So um, it's been a fun journey. 2009, I bought the company from my father. He was just more interested in playing golf and fishing. He'd been doing it for 35, 40 years. So he deserved to retire. So, um, you know, that's kind of in a nutshell, the history of the company. And we're just having a lot of fun. We're, we're pretty much transformed almost to a 100% e-commerce business today just because that's what we like to do. It's fun. It's exciting. We're still growing at pretty rapid growth rates. And um, you know, we're building jobs in Jacksonville and having a good time building uh, e-commerce business. Man, that is a really cool story and uh, just so unique to hear kind of how it transitioned from, you know, Mr. Holmes originally into your dad and then off to you. And, and, there's a lot of people that probably have a lot of questions thinking through that because, you know, there's, there's a lot that happens when you work with other people and then when you work with family and then when, oh, you know, yeah. th those reins get handed off. So I'd love to talk about kind of the family aspect a little bit, because I think a lot of small business owners, especially, you know, find themselves working with family, whether they hire somebody or they're working uh, for a parent or, or there's some kind of transition. I'd love to kind of hear, you know, from you, maybe some of the things that worked really well, maybe some of the things that were more difficult as you kind of learned to work with your dad and, and eventually take, took over the company. Yeah, sure. It was a challenge. My sister often asks me, like my sister works at Baptist Medical Center and she's got a very professional career down there. Uh, but she's like, how do you work with dad? I could never do that. <laughs> and it's just, it is a different dynamic, right? Um, and there was a good I don't know, from 98 until 09, so call it 20 years that we kind of worked together. I'm oh, sorry, 15 years or so, we worked together. But anyway, he was at a point where he wanted me, he wanted to like trust in me, but I kind of had to realize I got to prove myself. Like I can't just come in as this college grad. This business has been going on forever. Like I was so scared when I first came into the business that we had an employee walk up to me probably a month within my within my business uh, life at Holmes. And he's like, oh, you're just a kid with a silver spoon in your mouth and your daddy's just giving you this business. Because mm. it was a pretty successful and profitable business, even when 10 employees for the 40 years it ran. And so I remember going, oh, you're such an idiot. No way. Well, I'm not that guy. But then I went home that night. I'm like, oh shit, what if I am that guy? Mm. Like, I don't want to run this business into the ground. All these people have been loyal to my family for so long. Like, I got to figure out how to continue to grow this business because thing, life's not getting cheaper, right? So if you're not growing, you're dying, right? So um, that kind of motivated me. Or it, Initially, the, the family that we had there, uh, whether it was my father or the people that are just been loyal to the business for so long. And, and then also, like I remember clear as day having a conversation with my dad. Hey, Dad, and this is probably, I don't know, 1999 or 2000 or so. Is there any way that we could stop spending $2,000 a month on the phone book ad? <laughs> and can I go ahead and maybe build this website thing? 
Um, and I need a little bit of money to market and advertise the website. And, and so at first he's like, son, the web, the phone book has been working great for the past 37 years. Why would you ever think about that? You're too into this computer stuff. Just get back there and make stuff. Right. But eventually I, <laughs> there's an old story. I don't know if it's true or not, but like I stole the family credit card. And I'm like, we're buying, we're building a website. And I had a local <laughs> friend from UNF that said, I will right, we'll pay you $5,000 and we're going to lower our, uh, I remember when the, yellow page sales guy came in the office and I told him, Hey, we're going to take our ad from $2,000 a month to $1,000 a month. And then from a cash flow perspective, okay, dad, it's not going to cost the company anymore. We're just going to try new marketing ideas. So now I got whatever the number is, $1,000 a month to play with building this website. And so again, because you don't just launch a website and it works, right? It takes time. It takes commitment. It takes strategy. So it took us Two years of building websites and really understanding, watching what else is going on in our society. With There was a day when I, our parents, we were not comfortable putting a credit card number on the website. No way. They're going to steal from us. You're just going to trust this company in Florida to send you some rubber stamps? No way. you know. Right. So as a society, we kind of had to all evolve through that. And so I think it was the getting back to your question. Yes, there's challenges working with the family. Like Thanksgiving is often off, you know, weird, right? Um, but, uh, but we just kind of had, we have a very good relationship. My dad gave me a long leash to fail many times, but then would pick me up and say, you keep trying because if you're not trying, you're not, if you're not failing, you're not trying, right? Mm. So my dad was more, he, he could tell he was more into, the manufacturing and he really enjoyed just making the products and getting them shipped out. And I really enjoyed the sales and marketing and the networking and meeting new people and things like that. So we had a really kind of good mix where I was the the new kind of young spunks of the company where he was helping just getting all the orders shipped out, that kind of thing. So yeah, you know, one thing on there that you said that I think is really important is that your dad let you fail a lot. <laughs> and and I yeah, think that sure. that's one thing that a lot of leaders of businesses, especially small businesses, are really scared to allow their team to do. And I think that inhibits growth a lot because they, you know, they get stuck on trying to make sure everybody does everything perfect or exactly their way. And there's just no way to innovate or grow or succeed. If I mean, one of the reasons that I've been able to grow a business over time is that, you know, I've I've done that as well. I've failed multiple, many, many, many times and learned from those things and get back up. And if I don't allow my team to have those same opportunities like your dad did for you, not opportunities to succeed necessarily, but opportunities to fail so that you can learn how to succeed or find out what yeah. doesn't work. Like you, know, you, like you said, I mean, that, that idea that you spent two years working on the website before you got something that actually worked for you, most people don't have that kind of patience. Sure, yeah. There's a lot of um, instant gratification in the world we live in today. Oh, I've worked on this for three weeks and it's not working. Well, come on, man. Three weeks? Really? Come on. You know, so, um, uh, you know, and and we we like you have to temper failing, right? You can't spend a million dollars and fail. So you got to find little, little things that your company, you know, what? if we lose, if we spend 500 bucks here and it doesn't work, it's not the end of the world. But if it does work, maybe we should spend $5,000 there, Mm -hmm. you know, so just kind of iterating where, just understanding where you can fail. So. Yeah, I think that's a key idea of, of allowing people to fail, but not fail catastrophically because there is a difference. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Especially when it comes to the whole company. One of the things that that I'm kind of curious about hearing more about even, even we've talked about a little bit is this transition from, you know, pre-internet days to current, you know, internet marketing days. Cause it sounds like you've shifted now to where the majority of the business is e-commerce business where at one point there would have been zero business that was e-commerce business before you built that website. Sure. And 
how has that changed your opportunity to grow over time and reach new customers? So, I mean, I guess it's just the power of the internet in general and specifically marketing and, you know, pick on one of them, the Google, the biggest one, the elf in the room, right? So, yes, my wife is like, you spend how much money a day with Google? And I was like, yeah, we do, but hold on. That's too short. Yes, we'll pick a number. It's $2,000 a day with Google. That's crazy. It is crazy. But I now have the data and the analytics that shows me they brought us, you know, $8,000 in sales. Okay, let's do that more, right? So, you know, I think it's just interesting the way data has really influenced marketing. And, you know, the opportunity, like, for the first 50 years of the company, you couldn't advertise to somebody in San Francisco or somebody in New York. And, and the products we do, like, I love Jacksonville. I'm born and raised here. I will always live here. I'm in Neptune Beach and it's the best place that I, I enjoy. But like, there's only so many people buying rubber stamps in Jacksonville. So right. I couldn't build a multi-million dollar business. So we had to figure out a way to uh, advertise on Google or Bing or Yahoo or you know, the, uh, the Facebooks, Instagrams, and all those kind of fun things. So, and I'm telling my team right now, you need to go waste $500 next week on Snapchat because maybe there's something there. There's a bunch of eyeballs there. And I know that we're not going to sell a lot, but let's fail there, learn some, fail some more. And let's see, maybe, maybe we can fail, figure out how to, how to, uh, you know, do some, some of our products selling through different crazy marketing opportunities and ideas. So, uh, I think it, I'm not the smartest guy in the world. It's just timing is everything in life. And the timing I fell into was I had a passion for marketing and had a new tool called the internet, which really changed marketing. So that's where I was able to kind of continue. And we're still having a lot of fun growing business in Jacksonville and having fun. Now we're outside as well, as far as this office in Boston, this office in Austin, what strategically we're trying to do as a company is kind of follow that, Amazon Prime model. My wife orders something and then she goes and looks at the front porch and sees it's like an hour later. Is it here yet? I'm like, right. slow down. You just ordered an hour ago, right? So we're now taking orders off our website where a year ago, if there's a customer in Dallas that ordered from us, we'd make it, we'd ship it out really quick the next day. Oh man, the UPS guy or the mail guy takes four days to get it there mm-hmm. because it's just a geographic thing. Well, now we, we manufacture that order in Austin. It gets there the next day. Customers are happy. So. Yeah, that's super smart. And the, the other thing I think those those two things is, is being willing to adjust over time and figure out where you know where you can optimize your process. I think a lot of business owners get stuck in that mentality of well, this is how we've always done it. And the idea yeah. of I mean, the idea of going and starting a new location, a new city is kind of scary. You know, there's there's a lot of lot of details involved there. When you've worked in one city for a long time, you know how things work in that area, and you try and go sure. somewhere else where you don't live and you're not there twenty four seven. I mean, that's yeah. that's a big that's a big risk. It is. It is. So every risk, you have some sort of pros and cons, right? And the calculation on how risky is this and what's the ROI. And, um, you know, those are some of the decisions that we all went through when we've decided to continue to kind of expand our manufacturing outside of Jacksonville. It's it's purely a geographic play so we can get to our customers quicker. Yep. Super smart. And the other thing, I think you mentioned that conversation too, which is that there's always opportunity to try out new platforms, you know, whether it be Snapchat or Instagram or, you know, who knows what platform might pop up that might be next. You know, when, when you, when you guys took over or when you kind of started in the company in the late nineties, I mean, Google wasn't the king Yahoo was, you know, search. Yeah. And now Overture far, was for the old rough. school people. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> it's all that kind of stuff that it's, it's easy. I think right now some businesses are treating, you know, Google and Facebook with the same mentality that they did the yellow pages, 
if they're not paying attention to their analytics. Uh, the difference yeah. is that, it, it, like you talked about with data, is that now, I mean, this is what I do is marketing. So, you know, we believe in measurable marketing. And it's the idea that, you know, when you look at your data, it's not necessarily about how many eyeballs I'm getting in front of, but how much am I, how much am I actually selling? Sure. And, and being able to track that back to the actual platform for people that aren't doing that now, I mean, they're just missing, they're just wasting a lot of money in areas they probably don't realize. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, agreed. So thinking about uh, transition a little bit, one of the things I love to talk about is you mentioned you've been married for 18 years and you've got three kids and running a business uh, keeps you on your toes too. And so how do you, I don't like the word balance, but it's the thing people talk about work-life balance. I don't think it's ever 50-50. I have a chapter in my new book where I talk about it being a, more like a blender. Some days you need a little bit more spinach in your life. Some days you need a little bit more sugar. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. and so I'm curious from you, how do you see that in your life and how has that changed over time from, you know, working, but not being married, working, being married, working, being married with kids. And then as your kids grow, that changes too. Yeah. So I, I'll answer it kind of two ways. Like there was a time in, let's see, I got married in 2000. So sometime in like 2007, coming from work done one day, I'm like, Hey babe, what's for dinner? And all of a sudden we start arguing. I'm like, no, we don't have to argue. Like I'm thinking tacos or spaghetti. Like this isn't an argument <laughs> conversation, right? And and ultimately what I found was that my wife didn't like her job anymore as an attorney. Mm-hmm. And it was just too much stress. We had a, two young kids and we had to make a decision like, well, we can't both work 60 hours a week at this time in our you know early 30s. You know, we basically made the decision that wife's okay. This little e-commerce company has got a lot of opportunity. I love going to work. I don't have a job. I just it's so much fun to me. Mm-hmm. So she was able to kind of retire, for lack of better words, from the the, the law firm grind and uh, help raise our family. Right. So that's where she was. It was important to be mom, and uh, obviously that freed up my mental brain from, okay, I got my wife that's really helping do mom and, and raise the kids because at the end of the day, that's what's really, really important. So that was you know a step that we took. And then oh, as the kids get older, my wife goes back to, she's teaching at the law school and she loved doing that because she could drop off the kids to school. Mommy goes to work, teaches her class. Mommy picks up the, uh, the kids from school. They don't even know mommy has a job. So it's helpful for her. And it also helps me because she at one point was, I don't want to be mom full time. I spent all this time and energy getting this law degree. I want to use it. Right? right. So the balance has been really a full family balance. Right. So yes, there are days that, you know, I remember a long time ago, my dad, and, and, and this is probably like the, I saw, I, I saw my dad working 80 hours a week and wasn't maybe at the baseball game when I was growing up. And I was always like, that's not what I want. Like, at that point, the business owned my dad, right? My dad didn't own the business. And so one of my goals very early on was I want to build a company that I can disappear from and I don't have to be like chained to the desk. So now you love, and I just got, again, timing is everything in life, right? This little thing called the internet and iPhones that allow you to kind of work and you can be at the baseball game, keeping up with emails or whatever, right? So that's been a huge you know, opportunity for in my, in our generation where you can work remotely, you know? So just last week I went Thursday and Friday to our, we bought a house up in Tennessee on the river up there. Cause we live at the beach. We love the beach, but everybody needs like second house, that mountain house. Right. So, we, so we went up there and, and I was able to get leave Thursday, Friday. And you know what I did? I, because I loved work, I'm an early bird. I got up at five in the morning and I did the emails from five to seven, caught up with the company. And then I shut the laptop and the kids 
it was a holiday weekend, right? And school's now just getting out. So it's, um, you know, they're, they're sleeping until nine at least. So I can work from five in the morning to nine and get so much done. And then I shut the laptop. They don't even know daddy works today. And now we can go hang out in the river or we can go on a hike or we can go to the waterfall or do whatever we want to do. So it's using technology to really be able to, uh, you know, understand when you can work, when you can't work, you know, so those are kind of the things. And then on top of that, travel, right? So I do a little more travel than I've ever done between our Austin office and our, and our um, Boston office, but I do it around, <laughs> this is going to sound silly. My daughter wants to go see Ed Sheeran in concert. <laughs> Guess what? Ed Sheeran's in concert on a Friday night in September in Boston. So we're going to fly up there. We're going to spend Thursday and Friday working, and then we're going to go to the Ed Sheeran concert, and we'll come home, you know? Awesome. So um, those are kind of the little things that uh, that I do to try to work on that work-life balance. I love that. I mean, you you're, you kind of epitomize the exact kind of thought process that I have around that work-life blender idea is that you just kind of blend yeah. it all together. And, and it's, not, it's not necessarily today's a work day and tomorrow's not. It's Hey, I can wake up a little early and knock out a few hours of work and then I'm free for the day. And then I'll, you know, if I need to check in on things later this evening for an hour, that's fine too. And as long as that yeah. communication's really open, everybody understands that. I just love that what you said where you said the business owned my dad, my dad didn't own the business. I mean, I think yeah. that that's yeah. so true for so many small business owners. And for a long time for me, that was the that was the truth as well. And and I kind of had that mentality of, okay, what do I need to do? I mean, and it took me years to get this sorted out, but what do I need to do so that I can leave? And things will just keep running, you know, maybe not sure. leave permanently, yeah. but leave for a couple of days, leave even for a couple of weeks and things will just keep operating. And that's how they are now. And it sounds like that's where you're at too. And that's just such a, a great place to be for everybody's sake. And that's for, to your team members benefit as well, I think. Yeah, sure. Like, Brian, get out of my way. You hired me to do a job. Right. Get out of my way. You exactly. know? So, exactly. Okay, I will. <laughs> the last thing on that topic would be as an entrepreneur, you're always going to have this feeling that you're, I can do it best. And you're probably right. You could do it the best, but could you delegate it to somebody else that it would do it 80% as good as you would do it? And is that enough? That's the mindset that I've kind of gotten into that. Sure. I can run the PPC campaigns better than the guy who's doing it right now, but the guy that's doing it right now is doing a pretty good job and it frees me up to work on the business and not in the business, you know, so things like that. And just take that like, the humbling of, I don't have to be the smartest guy in the room. I just need to build a team around me that can allow the company to continue to grow while it's not just me. It's the team that's doing it. That's right. So that helps with uh, the overall you know, message. I heard a great, great quote the other day, and I can't remember who said it now. Otherwise, I'd attribute it to them. But it was basically like, when you're thinking about tasks that are incoming, you need to ask the question, can I delete it, first of all? In other words, does it even need to be done? Second, can I automate it? And if I can't automate it, can I delegate it? And if I can't yep. delegate it and it really has to be me, the next question was, does it have to be done now? And they were talking about purposeful procrastination. I think it was on the Entree Leadership Podcast. And it was basically mm-hmm. saying like, what happens with a lot of people is we we all operate really well in fires, in, in emergencies, and we kind of thrive off of them, especially small business owners. We kind of, we yep. we have this desire to just beat this emergency and, and, and fix it. But the problem is we're not always thinking long-term if we're constantly dealing with putting out fires. I thought that was a great way to think about it, kind of delete it, kind of automate it, kind of delegate it. And if not, do I have to do it now? That was really helpful. Yep. Last thing uh, I always like to wrap up with is how do you keep growing and learning? As you know, you've talked about industries changed a lot, technology's changed a lot over time. How do you personally kind of keep yourself 
learning and knowledgeable? Is it books, podcasts, events, mentors? What is it for you? Um, it's your blender because yeah. I can name seven different things, right? Probably the one of the, the biggest, the biggest thing in the blender, the potatoes behind everything. I'm a part of the CEO roundtable, and I think that's incredibly important to sit down once a month with 12 other CEOs and just none of them are making rubber stamps and signs, mm-hmm. but we're all kind of dealing with the same employee issues, sales, compensation, insurance, all those kind of things. So CEO Roundtable is a huge part of my life. I've been doing it for I don't know, 12 years now. And we got a great group of I don't know, 15 or so Jacksonville com- companies that we get together once a month. Um, and then the other thing is like, I enjoy like building my team and some of the team building things we do it, from a budget perspective and from a time perspective. And I don't know, what's a cool conference in Chicago? Somebody find a cool conference in New York, you know? So let's go to an e-commerce conference as a team. And we, we don't have to get to $700 a night Marriott hotel. Let's get a VRBO and hit the local publics and we'll have a good time doing it, you know? Mm-hmm. And four or five of our team will go up there. Uh, and then you're right. It's the podcast, which podcasts are made in my life. They've made a huge comeback in the past two or three years. Mm-hmm. Literally, my wife is going crazy when we we're driving to the mountain house last week. On the way up there, we listened to 11 different podcasts. On the way back, we listened to 12 different podcasts. Mm-hmm. Just 30, 45 minutes, you know, the Gary V or the NPR, how this was built, or there's just so much cool data out there. So just staying relevant with, again, the blender, right? The blogs, you know, subscribe to, I'm in the marketing, right? To subscribe to some of the different marketing blogs that you kind of want to want to. It's part of my exercise every morning when I get up, I'll go to the gym, I'll come to sit down in the office and I'll just read the kind of the, the email blogs that have come into my inbox. And I don't have to read them every day, but this morning I felt myself 30 minutes on ad week, which is just a cool advertising blog and, or not the blog, but it's a whole website business, but there's some cool content and I can, try to see how I can incorporate it into my business. Absolutely. Those are great uh, tips and ideas. And I really appreciate you taking the time to share them with our audience today. If you're out there and want to check out Brian's business, get some rubber stamps or embossers or name tags or all kind of other cool stuff that they make for your business. uh, You can check them out at homescustom.com. That's H-O-L-M-E-S custom.com. Brian, thanks so much for being on the show today. Super. Thanks for having me. I hope we can uh, inspire some people to take their entrepreneurial journey. Absolutely. Thanks, Brian. I hope this episode has given you some ideas or inspiration that will help you grow your business. If you found it helpful and you know somebody else who might benefit from it as well, I would greatly appreciate it if you would take the time to share this with them, maybe on Facebook or Twitter or LinkedIn, or even shoot an email over to a friend uh, with a link to this podcast in it. And if you haven't already, make sure you sign up for our email list at buildingabusinessthatlasts.com.